Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. <laughs> God damn it. I thought Ben was going next. <laughs> I, said, oh, I said I'd let you two God go first. God damn it. Alright, I'm oh. joined by Ben and Jamie. There. <laughs> there. We fucking fixed it. I sorted it. I sorted it yeah. out for everyone. There you go. I, I tell you what, let's, let's do one bit of this right. Who did with theme music? Oh, uh, our theme music is by our good friend Jordan. Hey, we got there. there. You go. Yeah, Jordan do- yeah, yeah, Jordan does a podcast sometimes at Com Radio. Avid listeners of Com Radio. I've been on Com Radio, I think twice. Um, I don't know how many times I've been on everyone's things now. It's too many times. <laughs> Any amount is too many, I think. Also, that's yeah. my that's my YouTube video script. Not I was about to say <laughs> piss island on the sh- on the podcast for the first time. So piss peninsula, right. yeah. Piss, welcome, yeah. Instead of piss island, welcome to piss peninsula. Normal peninsula. God, it really is. It does really have the character of Britain in a lot of ways. Because <laughs> before before recording, we were talking about the most British thing that could possibly happen in the country, which is having a Mike Gapes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm on a quest to identify every country's Mike Gapes, but let's set the scene. So, last time we got to the Republic being proclaimed. The country exists at last. We finally Yay. made it. It t- only took us two episodes to get to the country actually existing. So let's, let's set the scene a little bit. It's the 29th of October, 1923. The Republic of Turkey has just been proclaimed. The country is coming out of nine straight years of being at war. It's lost 25% of its civilian population during World War I. Then it probably had more losses during the Independence War for the next four years. And it's also lost a bunch of communities and is taking in a bunch of refugees because of that very, very well-thought-out population exchange that they had going on. So, you know, as, as starts go, it's a difficult one. Yeah. I'd say. Less yeah. than ideal. Yeah. Nowhere to go but up, I guess. Yeah, that, that is kind of the, the attitude to it at this point, which is, well, I mean, we can't possibly do worse than the last guys, can we? Because look at the state of the fucking place. Yeah. In, in less than a hundred short years, we'll have an axe murderer on a dating show. That's right. <laughs> we will enter the modern age by having dating shows and axe murderers, and then banning the dating show. It didn't ban the axe murderer, though. He he just did a short stint in prison and then got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the axe murderer, yeah, he got amnesty. <laughs> before, that was before he went on dating show. Look, you know what? If you want to know the full story, just go on to the uh, bonus episode on our Patreon. Yeah. See, when you said, like, enter the modern age there as well, my first thought was Sid Meier's Civilization. So you have to research axe murderer on a dating show to enter the modern era. That's right. <laughs> Can we get that graphic made? <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> a bit like as a tech, we should make a mod for Civ. Yeah, it's just like yeah, the Turkish just, development trajectory. It's just but, exactly the same, apart from one extra technology. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Gets you a lot more social. Um, Gets you a no, culture victory. Yeah, that's it. Culture victory. I've not played Civ since Civ Three, so I'm just imagining what like quote Leonard Nimoy would say for the Axe Murderer research. <laughs> Can we get one of those like audio deep fake things to to read out one of the quotes? <laughs> Actually, I know exactly what quote it would be because it's one of the uh, one of the quotes related to this reform period. I'm gonna have to find it real quick. Here we go. I found it. The state will be ruled by positivism, not superstition. 
that's what Leonard Nimoy should read out for this technology. We need to deep fake that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we need to deep fake Leonard Nimoy saying that over the technology being discovered, ideally by Britain. <laughs> I think. Yes. <laughs> that that by the way is like an ideological statement by the chemists about how the state should function and be ruled. But we'll get to that, I guess. But yeah, they're, they're big into positivism, which, you know, mm. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out great, given the way they talk about people because <laughs> of it. I won't lie. Basically, Turkey, through these reforms, they really, they really wanted to be like Europe, and they really learned the important bit, which is the race science bit of it. Oh, no. Yeah, but that's mostly the 30s. This is, we're really only covering the 20s today because there's a lot of fucking shit to get through and we need to set the stage and then we need to talk about all of the stuff next episode with all of mm. the actual fun drama stuff such as purges and assassination attempts and rebellions. Oh, real politics. Yeah, the fun stuff. But we gotta, we got to eat our vegetables. So, so the scene I set is not less than ideal. It's not an ideal start, but let's go into a bit of detail on how fucked it really is. So the economy basically doesn't exist. Like, it just, it doesn't exist. There's no economy. There's, like, some farming and some arms manufacturing. I was just going to say, much like today, the economy isn't real. Yeah. Well, except the economy's not real in a much, in a much, much worse way at this point. And whatever economy does exist, it's all owned by foreign companies. So, like, Britain owns all the railways. France owned all the tobacco farms. Well, God knows uh, who owns all the fucking tea. Can you imagine Britain owning a railway? Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna get to railway. We're gonna get to railway ownership. Having every part of your country be owned by a foreign state is very British of them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to be fair, this is this is one of the few divergences from Britishness. I think at this point. So, because of the Treaty of Lausanne before this. There were these rules that were imposed on the Ottoman Empire called the Capitulations. Those had been abolished now, thankfully, because in the treaty, Turkey snuck in and wrote, we consider the Capitulations abolished, full stop. They snuck that in without anyone noticing. <laughs> and the Capitulations <laughs> were, really fu- were really weird. Let's say they were funny. They're really funny because basically what it meant was that none of the foreign merchants in the Ottoman Empire could be held accountable to the local law. Oh, oh dear. Which meant that, yeah, which meant that you couldn't really prosecute anyone or, you know, well, because in the Ottoman Empire, it was, a, you know, Sharia courts. You couldn't execute anyone or cut off their hand or nothing like that. Great. Yeah, Especially not the Brits. And, and executing the Brits is, you know, a cornerstone of yeah. liberatory politics. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a kind of a similar situation to, like, I don't know, like Shanghai or Hong Kong at the same time. Yeah, kind of, except, like, negotiated exceptions and stuff like that. Just, for, just so people have an idea of how long these things existed in some countries, in Egypt, these capitulations went on until 1949. Oof. And, yeah, that's a long time. And, actually, this is one of these weird things where people kind of don't know about what the structure... Because when you're waging a war, you have to have an economy to back it up, right? Like, you need yeah. manufacturing, logistics, all this other shit. And you need financing for it. So, like, obviously, when we did our first episode, we talked about the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union sent a shit ton of gold and guns to the Turkish nationalists, which was good of them. But here's the interesting thing. A lot of Muslims in the British Empire sent a bunch of money to the Turkish nationalists. Oh, right. 
especially in Egypt and India. Well, Egypt's kind of not in the British Empire and in it at the same time. It's a bit of a weird one. But yeah, in, in India, they... I'm pretty sure that in that show, Kurtulush, I mentioned in the first episode, they have one of the like fam- most famous Pakistani politicians played as a character in there, going around Britain saying, we prayed for the victory of the Turkish nationalists. Yeah, and I imagine if that was actually said at the time, <laughs> that would have caused some issue. Just a slight one. You know, busy yeah. treason. A little bit of treason. The British, a the British as a nation do not like it up them unless it's like self-inflicted. Yeah. yeah. And part of it is because, you know, they have the Caliph. And it was even called the Caliphate movement in India, was what it was called. A lot of this support for the Turks. They're like, well, I mean, ideally, surely the Turks would be the ones to keep the Caliphate. Which was a, an idea that aged quite well, I would say. Because as we know, <laughs> there is a Caliph to this day. Um, that, that's why we laughed ISIS out the room when they claimed the Caliphate. You know, because there was one. <laughs> Yeah. The descendants of Abdul Majid II still are the Caliphs today. Famously. <laughs> Spoiler alert, everyone, that's coming up later in the episode. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So the society at large is mostly Turkish speaking, mostly socially conservative, mostly illiterate. I, I, the illiterate thing I'm like, I'm unsure of because there is no reliable information I could find on the literacy rate in just Turkey in the Ottoman Empire. Is this because nothing was written down? Well, funnily, <laughs> towards the end of the empire, yeah. Oh, no, oddly, they were very good at recording who they were marching through the desert to their death. They weren't very good at recording who had been to school and who hadn't been to school. Ah. I don't know. I don't know. Love what to, to, to keep track of literacy rates as an oral tradition. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the estimate is between 11% and 43%. There's your, there's your estimate. And mm. I would reckon it's closer to the 11% than the 43% after the war because most of the people who survived the war are children and women. And a lot of children and women did not go to school yet or didn't go to school at all. Was this literacy in the infamously difficult Ottoman Turkish? Or Yes. That, get, get this, that's going to be coming up as well. That's the last thing we're going to talk about today oh. is the infamously difficult Ottoman Turkish. But speaking of like literacy rates, education, it's completely decentralized. There's no, um, there's no centralized education system. There's no standardized education system, except for some of the what they call Tanzimat era schools. Tanzimat just means like reform. You can think of it as like the Meiji restoration, but for Turkey, but also done wrong. Did they have a Turkish to be young in charge of it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, but, like, these schools, uh, they were good schools. These are the schools that, like, the officer corps that, you know, lead the country to independence come from. These are all the schools they went to. They went to the fancy European-style schools, which uh-huh. perhaps influenced what they did later. Who's to say? None of us could possibly say. But it was mostly done in religious schools, you know, m- what in English you would call a madrasa, I suppose. You know, a school at the mosque. They teach you how to read the Quran. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily good or bad. It's an observation on my part that that's how education was done. This might not be great, the next one. There are Sharia courts in most of the country. So those no-go zones people are talking about. Turns out it was mostly the Ottoman Empire. Huh. Don't tell Fox News. Yeah, tell Fox News. Ottoman Empire, Sharia courts. (laughs) I'm reasonably sure one of my ancestors was a Sharia judge. Oh, And... And gave the easiest divorce to a woman in history because the woman was like, just look at him. Would you marry him? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, fair enough. You get to divorce him. 
You get half the shit. <laughs> just imagining them building a News Corp time machine to go back to the Ottoman Empire just to go to the no-go zones. But I'm yeah, hearing... but to be fair, to be fair, the... Oh, God, I was going to say, Fox News had a person on, you know, when Obama was president. I remember this because it was a clip that went viral, where one of them was screaming about how Obama wanted to bring back the Ottoman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was literally an elected representative, too. That Hold on, I'm going to look up the fucker's name, because I remember the fucker's name, because it's it's insane. Yeah, yeah, fuck, he was, um, he's, he's still a representative. He's a representative from Texas 1st Congressional District, Louis Goma. I mean, I mean, did you need to tell us Texas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there's a... Oh, God, he... Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it could have been Alabama, but then that would imply a literacy rate that understands the Ottoman <laughs> Empire existed, so... <laughs> but, yeah. Hold on, I've got the news story. On Friday, Louis Goma accused President of Obama of conducting a foreign policy that is helping to create a second Ottoman Empire. <laughs> Incredible. Beautiful. You know, the second largest amount of our listeners come from America, so I feel like it's alright for us to make this point about, yeah. about America I mean, a little bit. America ha- just has such an exquisite line in absolute headbangers. It's, oh, it's kind yeah. of incredible. This is why when we sort of make a good bit of progress with Turkey and we have people on to explain why their countries are fucked up, we're going to have to have multiple episodes on America. Yes. We're gonna have yeah. to, we're gonna have to get many Americans on to explain to us exactly what the fucking problem is. Get Americans on, strap them into a chair, and like demand to know what the fuck they're playing at. Yeah, <laughs> insist that we need to stop America until we can figure out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> switch America off and then switch it on again. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that like guy that you know the Ottoman Empire uh, resurgent guy you mentioned is uh, the same madman they had on when there was a Muslim got elected. And this guy was on the news saying like how they can't they can't take the oath because you have to swear on a Bible. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the the guy the guy from CNN's like you can swear on anything. He's like, no, I've done it. You have to swear on a Bible. It's like, yeah, because you're a Christian. You know what I mean? And you see the guy just seg fault in real time. It was, it was great. Like <laughs> just his brain folding. <laughs> oh shit! Does that mean that you can swear in on uh, the Communist Manifesto? I would assume so. Probably. Oh, yes. I mean, actually, maybe not in America, to be fair. Uh, it's probably I probably against they that have... specifically. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, the Quran is one thing, but the Communist Manifesto. Didn't say anything about capital, though. That's so, right. in the clear on that one, we have Sharia courts, but we also still have a caliph, Abdul Majid II, who is, this, who is the heir. He was the last crown prince of the Ottoman Empire. But the sultanate got abolished and the fucker got given a suitcase full of cash and told to fuck off. So now his son is the caliph. He does this neat thing where he's like, I actually would like to issue decrees and fatwas that contradict the parliament, which I'm sure is completely fine and no one got angry at. You no. know, I'm sure that I'm sure that was fine. Completely fine. But we also have a bit I, earlier um, than October. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'd like to see the return the return of the tradition of giving people a suitcase full of money when you tell them to fuck off. I'd, I'd be loaded. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we wouldn't have to have a Patreon for this podcast if yeah. we had that. <laughs> <laughs> just pay for it all out of my, my suitcases full of, like, fuck off money. Yeah, just get, getting told to fuck off at the pub and, and the <laughs> landlord rolls his eyes and gets a suitcase out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we also have a brand new Grand National Assembly 
and you won't believe what the result of the election was. Oh. The Association for of Rights won a landslide. They won every single seat. Amazing. Now, some might say that's because they were the only legal political party. But I say it's because of the sheer popularity of the Turkish nationalists. They probably would have won in a landslide in a multi-party election, to be fair. That's yeah. what I call momentum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 100 seats. No, it wasn't even 100 seats. It must have been like 535 seats out of 535. And the Association of Rights gets reformed into the People's Party. Sorry, I'm just imagining, just imagining Turkish Jeb. Just fucking in front of the map. <laughs> Turkish Jeb, but it's Ataturk. Like, <laughs> Jeb Bush in a cow pack. New emote just dropped. <laughs> yes! I mean, like, winning, winning like every single seat in an election, it sounds, sounds like weird and slightly sus to us now, but in, you know, in a, a few short years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, hold on. Let me, uh, let me just look up the 1923 election, because it had a really fucked up electoral system as well, because it used the Ottoman electoral law passed in 1908. So it's a two-stage election process. So what you do is you elect basically an electoral college of dipshits. Yeah. And then they vote for who the deputy gets to be. Oh, great. Yeah. But they won all 332 seats. 167 were needed for a majority. I suspect that wasn't a big problem for them, given the, you know, they're the only legal party. <laughs> so, you know. And that meant that the elected prime minister was Rolf Orbay, who, yeah, he'll be a character later. He will be a character later. He gets into some trouble. Oh. He'll be he'll be featuring heavily in the next episode. Oh boy. But yeah, he was yeah. That the next episode's going to be the fun one. He was te- he is technically the third prime minister of Turkey, offic- in an official sense. Mm. How many has Turkey had in total since independence? Uh 27, although admittedly we did abolish the post. <laughs> 27 and, and five of them were as many Yeah, I can't wait for, to talk about the ab- abolition of the post of prime minister led b- who w- which was in a referendum led by the prime minister who wanted to abolish his own job. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had days like that. <laughs> yeah, except none of, none of us have had to pitch it to the electorate at large that we want to abolish our job. But yeah, so um yeah, the First real prime minister of Turkey, I guess, is Ismet Inonu because uh, Ralph Orbay steps aside for the big man. You know, as you would, to be honest, as anybody yeah. would. Well, to be fair, it's because uh, it's it's a complicated thing. Basically, he he was kind of just sat in the office, and then Ataturk's like, "I would like to appoint, you know, my best mate to be prime minister because I trust him to be competent." <laughs> Although he does sack him pretty quickly, so. <laughs> And then and then reappoints him for twelve mm. years. So again, once again, who is to say? He is unfortunately succeeded by the biggest melt in Turkish history, Jalal Bayar. Oh, yeah, we'll get to him. We're gonna get to him. Don't worry. He, I really ru- don't like that. Ruined many a Hearts of Iron campaign. Yeah, <laughs> the fucking nerd. <laughs> I, I say that because every picture of him is him in these really fucking nerdy glasses. Yep. Proper, proper four eyes. I'm allowed to say it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so the Association of Rights reforms into the People's Party. And then once they once they do the first reform, the first major reform we talked to, they become the Republican People's Party. We know and love today with their six arrows, although the six arrows come later. They're in 1930. They're in 
a future episode we will talk about all six arrows. Do they all do they all stand for different things? Yes, that's yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I've already I already know the title of the episode where we talk about the six arrows. I sleep in a big bed with six arrows. <laughs> <laughs> just there you go. But does one does one of the arrows represent Marvel's Jeremy Renner? <laughs> no. Um <laughs> I, oh, God. I, I never remember them off the top of my head, so I'm going to give it a good go now. Right. Secularism, republicanism, revolutionism. Uh, fuck. Fuck <laughs> 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 to free Rarit. Fuck. Yeah, fuck is one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to desperately try to remember the six arrows. Fuck. Um, so, what did I say? It was republicanism, nationalism. Revolutionism, populism, secularism, secularism yeah. and statism. Yeah, I think ah, that's yes. six different ones, isn't it? That was six, yeah. right? Yeah, that's six. Statism. Although, yeah. although it was revolutionism not changed to reformism at one point. Yeah, it's changed to reform. This is what this is one of these things where people get kind of weird about it in English, where they're like, "Well, it's technically the Turkish word for revolutionism, but yeah, they're not really like revolutionary." That would imply some significant change in who actually governed the country, because most of the Republican People's Party, like most of them were military officers, and the Ottoman Empire already had a military government, basically, at that point. Mm. I, don't, I don't see, basically, you've changed which military officers are in charge while giving some people some rights. Mm. And the Republic of Turkey... Republic of Turkey in the, the 20th century, famously a place where, you know, civilian rule is uh, a big, big thing. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have a lot of civilian rule. To be fair, I, I love this. I love whenever a Turkish person has to go onto like the news in the either before or after a military coup is attempted, where they're like, "No, we have a long tradition of democracy." You know, it goes back before <laughs> the republic. And I'm like, "Yeah, the constitutional monarchy was imposed by military coup." <laughs> like, that's not it's not a great sign, is it? That the, no. the, the democratic tradition essentially began with a military coup against an emperor. Mm. It's not ideal, to say the least. So, so like, the pi- picture I painted of this country is it's fucked, right? Like, it needs to change. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can't go on like this. And so we need to kind of think about what the goals were of the early Kemalists. So like, so the main goal, we talked about this a lot in the second episode, was this idea that national sovereignty should be exercised within Turkey, right? Like, we don't want foreign interference, we don't want foreign influence over our affairs. And when you hear the word foreign, you should really understand the West, right? They don't want the West to meddle in their affairs. Understandable. Relatable, yeah. yeah. No one wants it. And they wanted to harness this national spirit that had built in the independence war because what they'd done was they'd basically united most of the majority Muslim population of Anatolia behind this goal. And now they kind of wanted to just sort of use that momentum to do really big and radical changes to the country that would probably start chipping away at that sort of national unity they'd built up. Hmm. Yeah, um, obviously I say most of the majority Muslim population because there were revolts within the revolt. Oh, of course. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we had Islamic socialists and... Why, why stop with just one revolt? You know, like... Yeah. You know... It's like in Crusader Kings 2 when your revolt has a revolt inside it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love it. What a beautiful game. So the other one was they had this kind of 
attitude towards Islam, where they they want it to sort of have a sub, not a, not a completely marginalized role, but a much less prominent role in society. So they they kind of ima- uh, wait, hold on, let me phrase this right. You know how people imagine Protestant Europe as largely secular, even though they're all technically theocracies still. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted it to be like Protestant Northern Europe, right? That's which not- is that you would have mm. this sort of cultural secularism but that maybe you wouldn't have to enforce it through you know like headscarf bands and shit like that Uh, yeah Mm. but i I, as i as i put in the notes i mean i don't know how people can really believe that because i don't know how you explain northern ireland then (laughs) (laughs) Um, if if protestantism is so not a prominent religious thing in society why do why is northern ireland good question why just why? Yeah, why that's, is Northern Ireland? Yeah, that's maybe an issue for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> the Six Counties podcast. Oh um, boy, the Six Arrows in the Six Counties. Yeah, yeah, the crossover episode. <laughs> Each county represents a value of Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh God, republicanism. No. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so there was also this general project of westernization, or they called it westernization, which is mostly we would like to do enlightenment values and have science, please. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, which they, they patched that. Well, they, they changed that for the new one. You know, you, you don't westernize anymore. It's all about ideas. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They didn't have a big westernization button like in Victoria too. So they had to kind of do it the hard way. And this is one of these weird reasons why people associate the ideas of Ataturk with, like, really weird stuff. I've seen, I've read in a book that they're like, oh, well, you know, some of his influence came from scientific socialism. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, scientific <laughs> socialism? What the fuck is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? That, Mark, that's it's fucking Mark's news to me. Ataturk, yes. Sci- that's what the idea is, I guess, but... Sci- scientific socialism is when you decapitate your boss with a laser rather than a guillotine. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, but I've read that in the book, and I was like, but that doesn't make any sense because these people are. I I call him the King Lib because mm. he is. He, he is the King Lib. He kept ordering his subordinates to form opposition parties so he could beat them in elections. <laughs> like he desperately, <laughs> desperately wanted multi-party liberal democracy so badly that he was forcing his subordinates to form political parties. Yeah, in fact, it was so bad he even formed an opposition party against himself. <laughs> In the 20s, he formed an opposition party to himself in the form of the Turkish Communist Party Brackets Official. <laughs> yeah. Was there an unofficial not, one at that not. point? Well, there was, there was the Turkish Communist Party for real, you know. <laughs> that was who they were trying to counter the influence of. They were trying to counter the influence of the original Turkish Communist Party, oh. who had one of the coolest stamps in history as the symbol of their central committee. I'm going to put that in the episode notes. Let me see. I'm going to imagine that the um, the the Communist Party for real that the for real was written on the end in brackets. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's how Communist Party names are written, though, isn't it? It's like Communist yeah. Party of Turkey brackets Maoist or whatever. <laughs> it's probably a real party now. I've said it. Oh yes, I'm loving that. I like that emblem. That is the Central yeah. Committee. It's written in French of, uh, on the outside. Ah, because French is the revolutionary language, you know. Actually, yes. I mean, that is, that is like, that is what the Kemalists believe, mm. to an extent. 
because they associated themselves and we'll kind of see it. We'll see the big sign that they believe this in a bit. But they associated themselves more with the French Revolution's ideals than, you know, the contemporary revolution going on to their north. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a bourgeois revolution rather than uh, a proletarian one. Yeah, well, it was, you know, as I said in the first episode, they, they believe, you know, the Soviets knew that. They knew that when they were given the money that they were not a communist party. Yeah. Really obvious that that was the case. In fact, I think the Communist Party was legal for quite a while in um in Turkey before before starting. Uh, although I think it was, well, yeah, they were legal from 1921 to probably about 1925. So before starting the the massive Wikipedia list of banned like Turkish political parties. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know who the first banned political party in Turkey was. It probably was the Communist Party. Now I think about it, because there was another political party kicking around at the time. That's kind of relevant. That will probably be relevant to the second part of all of these reforms more, which is the Women's Party. Oh, the Women's Party, party exclusively. <laughs> yeah, a party purely about for women by women, wanting women to get the vote. Uh huh. Which they did before a lot of European countries in Turkey. Just saying, <laughs> they love bragging about that. Yeah, they, they love bragging yeah. about that. Did they have views on single-sex spaces? Uh, actually, no. I don't. <laughs> Bizarrely, no, because it wasn't. It wasn't a live issue. It's not a live issue in real life either. To be no. honest, in real life, no. as if twenties Turkey was a separate video game <laughs> reality. But you know, it's, it's all hearts of iron. You in, know. in universe. <laughs> yeah, in universe. Yeah. But yeah, so. I would I would make the argument that adopting a lot of this sort of Enlightenment values shit, the way they interpreted the Enlightenment values shit, made Turkey much more susceptible to the kind of racism that you we're going to see later, even during the reform period, because we're going to have you know Turkification programs and stuff like that. Mm. Especially because they the Kemalists adopt this early dichotomy or binary about society. There's the civilized people. You know, the ones who do the things that we would like them to do. And the uncivilized people who go to the mosque and, you know, shit like that. Oh, boy. Which is, which is good. That's mm. a good division to have in society. That's fine. I'm sure that doesn't cause any problems. Yeah, I, I love to, yeah. to create a dichotomy of barbarity and civilization in my statecraft. That is always uh, yeah. going to go well. It's, it's national unity, you know, I mean... <laughs> difficult when you ha when you open when your opening gambit is okay so here are the dumb people and here are the smart people yeah you want to be one of the smart people right mm. like... always a very sensible move to create this idea of like an organic unity in your society that is being attacked by some sort of you know um uh yeah <laughs> internal fool well i mean everyone 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 can just choose to be one of the smart people though that yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these things where a lot of this civilized versus uncivilized stuff also projects onto like Kurdish stuff as well and other minority groups as well that are, that speak similar languages to Kurdish that lived in Turkey. A lot of it maps onto that as well because, as we'll discuss in the bonus we're recording after this, those places were particularly socially conservative in a lot of ways and particularly resistant for a lot of different reasons to these reforms. Uh. One part of it is 
they straight up did not see them as, you know, a separate cultural group, and so tried to impose oh. culture on them. Basically, a lot of this civilized versus uncivilized maps onto the Kurdish issue as well. And that obviously leaves a long, 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 long legacy of a lot of hurt. Mm. So, and we'll come to that. Those, those are future episodes. I don't yeah. want to spoil them all. Yeah. Can't spoil them all yet. I expect that there's a lot of that that's going to come up. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to structure that in a way that doesn't gloss over stuff, especially mm. in a podcast format, but we'll figure it out. So we're going to actually get into the reforms now because it's about <clears> time. <throat> so this is going to be kind of a high level summary because one, there were a shit ton of fucking reforms. Like the, the page on Wikipedia for Ataturk's reforms is probably the second longest page on Wikipedia that exists. What, after it is, anime? After anime, yeah. <laughs> it, it has eight sections in it, and many subsections within it. Like, each section has about five subsections. And some of those have sub-subsections. Oh, so, no. you know. It, and, so, and so we're only doing up to 1928 today. Let's open with the Caliphate. That's my favorite institution. Everyone's favorite institution, the Caliphate. So mm. I mentioned earlier that the Caliph was issuing decrees that ran counter to what the Republican government wanted to do. Yeah. So they just decided, and this is a true story, by the way, in love a budget... Uh, love to be the Banter Caliphate. That's right. <laughs> the Banter Caliph. That's going to be my new role <laughs> in the Discord, I think. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like... The banter caliph. Imagine, like, Turkish nationalist FBPE equivalents seeing the caliph wearing, like, a particular colour of turban or something like that and being, oh, that's a coded message to the government, I bet you. <laughs> they, love their, they love their hats as messages to the government. <laughs> but <laughs> Actually, hats are going to come up in a bit. It's oh, um, yes. so funny you mentioned that. I, I kind of have to explain, like, how governance worked a little bit. So, Ataturk was the president. But the president, like, had ill-defined powers, and Ataturk is just generally kind of uninterested in the specifics of governing. You know, like, the parliamentary element of governing. So he just kind of leaves it to the deputies in parliament to just sort of do the budget shit, just as long as it doesn't interfere with his broad vision for the country. He's like, yeah, do, you know, figure it out yourselves. Majority rules, you know, in the parliament. Figure it out. Do some of that blue sky thinking. Yeah, like... It is a bit like that, and he basically, in a budget negotiation, something like 50 deputies in the parliament come up and they're like, well, here's a thing we can cut from the budget, the caliph. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess he's not really necessary anymore, so we'll just abolish the caliph. So the most significant cultural title in Islam is abolished due to a budget negotiation in 1924 <laughs> Turkey. Yeah, welcome to the modern era, folks. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing like that, them coming up the stairs to the caliph's like room with that, like you know what I mean, proclamation to tell him he's abolished while he's hastily trying to type one out that says, no, he isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, but the ben- see, there's a benefit to being the government that has the monopoly of violence, which is that he can't really stop him from abolishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's abolished in a budget negotiation and he he and his entire family are told it's time to fucking leave the country basically Oof. like we don't want you in our country anymore you will be used as like 
token, you know, as wedges by foreign powers, but we're not going to Romanov you. We're just going to ask you to fuck off. <laughs> and they fucked off. And a lot of them fucked off and went on to, you know, have children who had children who then became British comedians. So, what? yeah, that's real. That's real. <sighs> there is a British comedian who is a descendant of the Ottoman dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> of course there so, is. And it's not Boris Johnson. It's nothing like that. He, he goes by Naz Osmanullah. Is he in footlights by any chance? And he is... Huh? I'm saying, was he in footlights? <laughs> was he in what? In footlights, you know, the thing that all British comedians are in. Like, yeah, footlights. Oh, right, yeah, no, I'll, yeah. I, it's just your, your audio was cutting out for me, that's all. All right, okay. But yeah... yeah I, mean, I, I was kind of hoping it would be, it would be like Lee Mack or something. <laughs> <laughs> He was not in, as far as I can tell, not in Footlights. He has a full Imperial style, which is incredible. (laughs) His Imperial Highness, the Prince Nazim Ziyadin Nazim Osmanullah, Imperial Prince of the Ottoman Empire, member of the House of Osman. Amazing. Just don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't have, you know, just don't do this. Don't, (laughs) but as far as I can tell, he's not like a fucking terrible melt. Like, as, as far as I've been able to discern, not a massive melt. Does make a lot of bits about his, um, you know, him being a descendant of the Ottoman I imagine. Ottoman I imagine his uh, observational comedy is extremely niche. <laughs> yeah. Look- <laughs> don't, you just, don't you just hate it when your family gets exiled from, a, like, a country that you once ran? <laughs> yes. It's like look- two, two guys in the crowd sort of confusedly clapping. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, yeah, I do hate that, but I guess... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. That is, and there was also the daughter of the last caliph, who you can have as the leader of a resurgent Ottoman Empire in Hearts of Iron Four, who oh. was just like given a title by the Brits. She was made like a lady of some bit of India they didn't give a shit about. Oh, nice. Yeah, but she was. I'm, like, gonna, I'm going to assume that's like that's an official title, you know, like the Order of the Garter or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may as well have been because no one gave a shit. To be honest, she just basically got to live a life of luxury for being the daughter of the biggest fucking loser in the history of his dynasty, other than yeah. the guy, other than her granddad. So. Yeah, the Royal Legion of Yadas fucked it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Yadas fucked it by by contradicting the nationalist government. That has the monopoly on violence. Too bad. I I would simply just not do that. Yeah. Mm. So this actually leads to a kind of a funny thing where there's a scramble for the title of Caliph. And there are a couple of, like, candidates who people kind of take seriously. One of them is King Fuad of Egypt, which maybe makes you think he was playing the long game by supporting the Turkish nationalists. (laughs) You know, I can finally become Caliph. That, That is... That is honestly like the kind, the the sort of like the plot you'd expect from like a fucking Kingsman film. Do you know what I mean? A guy <laughs> yeah. like ferments like people's revolutions around the globe so that he can become king of everywhere. That's right. The, so like, yeah, it was King Fuad of Egypt was one of them. The other one was, I believe, it was Hussein bin Ali, who was the. Uh, he was the ruler of Hijaz, who you know the Brits promised all of Arabia to. Uh huh. But he, he basically, basically he, so Fuad doesn't get it because he essentially, he, Fuad doesn't ask, doesn't pursue it because he's like, I kind of agree with the Turkish position, which is that we shouldn't have a caliph and that we should just do multilateral cooperation. 
and you know be equals as nations and not have like some dickhead in charge of all of us yeah said the king of egypt (laughs) but leaving leaving that aside for a second the other one is hussein bin ali who basically one looks like a traitor and two looks like a loser Oh, because nice. one, he betrays the Ot- he betrays the Ottoman Empire by leading the Arab Revolt, but then he looks like a loser because he doesn't get any fucking land out of it. Oops. Does he? And then picturing what- like um, follow back pro Egypt guys who are like, oh no, the king wore a certain hat, and that means he supports like the the, the <laughs> abolition of the the caliphate. Yeah, <laughs> um, and <laughs> and the. Uh- <laughs> I just love that we're going to have to keep doing this for every country I mention now. <laughs> um, so there's also another potential candidate who appeared. So Hussein bin Ali's Hejaz gets absorbed by Saudi Arabia. And oh. so one of the potential candidates was Abdulaziz ibn Saud. Oh. But one, no one had heard of who the, no one knew who the fuck the Saudis were at the time. They were just some random ass fucking desert family who just got given a kingdom, basically. And the other thing is, everyone in the Muslim world thought they were weirdos, basically. Mm. And perhaps everyone in the Muslim world still thinks that's the case. (laughs) But everyone kind of looked at them like, man, you are really strange. I mean, like, really strange. You know, you're making your women wear headscarves inside the house, even? Come on. That's Ah. not really, like, one of the distinctions, but yeah. Yeah, so so like quite fun to consider that the Saudis were always weird. Oh yeah, yeah, they were always they were either like unknown or weird. Like no one ever considered them within the mainstream of it. Certainly not at this time. Everyone was kind of like, well, you can't. And also, the Saudis didn't care about being caliph, partially because they were very self-aware that they were quite strange <laughs> to other people. You know, they're just like, yeah, we get it. Like we do an extremely like orthodox interpretation of the Quran that literally no one else follows but also we're going to export everywhere and see what that produces. Who knows? I'm sure it'd be fine. Yeah, they're fam- famously well-loved now and, and perceived as liberal reformers, as, as the Guardian yeah. will tell you. Yeah, it was completely fine. N- nothing bad came of it. You know, it was all fine. So, the Caliph is abolished in a budget negotiation, which is a very FVPE kind of storyline now you think about it. <laughs> We've abolished the Queen in a budget negotiation. That's what they thought Jeremy Corbyn was going to do. Oh, God, man. And he would have been right to do it. Wouldn't have been a budget negotiation, though. It would have just been for fun. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. They would have had... They they would start having for fun meetings. Yeah. Where they abolish it. How vile Corbyn gets his kicks by abolishing old ladies. (laughs) He's abolishing your nan. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, what God, was, who who was it? Who was it? Fucking tried. Like, who was a torrent woman on some talk show about like the the fucking mansion tax and how it would affect old ladies in London. <laughs> <laughs> one in particular. Corbyn also lives in a mansion. Yeah, one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so they so they abolish the caliph, and it's it's all good. On the same day as abolishing the caliph, they centralized education. They kind of snuck that in under the under the radar for everyone. They were like, also we centralized education. It's a bit like how you ban Wikipedia and dating shows on the same day. Yeah, you know, one is like the big fireworks announcement. The other one's like the serious business one. I know this Just isn't had what some it means, time but... left over at the end of the meeting. 
when you say centralised education, I can just only imagine just like this giant school where literally everyone goes. Yeah, that's it's it's the school from Danganronpa. It's the gigantic school that towers over the city that everyone had like only special people to go to. But instead of that, it's everyone. It's literally everyone has to go to it. It's, it's the Islamic Hogwarts. Islamic Hogwarts. No, but there is an Islamic Hogwarts, isn't there? That's the whole fucking thing. Because like, J.K. Rowling made that fucking map. Yeah. Oh, like yes. A, do we know what she called? Do we know what she called the Islamic Hogwarts? No. Is it, is do we want to get, get cancelled by trying to guess? It, it was something <laughs> like that racist culture map that was posted the other day, but just like for, for wizard schools. And like yeah. some of them were just like unnamed school, like number 13. Yeah, I was I'm trying to like figure out what she would call it. I think the word for the Turkish word for what I assume is devilry, according to the translation. <laughs> she would, she would. All right, it, it's this word. I'm not going to attempt to say it. It's this word, but because I will swear in Turkish by accident if I try and say it. But <laughs> but it's this word. But like she fucks it somehow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool word actually. It is. Well, it, I I think I saw someone talking about that that map, and apparently, like the the Brazilian wizard school is like supposedly um, so old it predates colonization, but is named uh, in Portuguese. <laughs> well, the, you know, the name they, they the adapted. name is the name is literally just something like Wizard House, or some, but like you know yes. what I mean, like put through Google Translate. I mean, to be fair, it being named something in Portuguese might be a small mercy. When you think about it, because <laughs> holy shit, what is she going to name it if she has to learn one of the like native languages, oh, boy, the indigenous yeah. languages of Brazil? Like, fuck me. Could you imagine what she'd... Pre- imagine what that school's going to be like. <laughs> I don't want to think like, about it. Jesus Christ. I mean, she probably she probably intended to name it in like one of the native languages, but then they weren't on Google Translate, so she just fucked it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Didn't uh, who was it? Was it Sean who did the good video on J.K. Rowling yes. recently? That's a really good video, and also the yeah. point he makes about what Cho Chang's name was probably based on is really good. And yeah. I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought of that because I obviously didn't think about how she was naming stuff. And I'm like, oh, she was naming it after that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Nothing's gonna beat yep. the 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 guy Kingsley Shacklebolt though. That's no, my God, that's so bad. That's so bad. Uh, <laughs> someone, someone was talking about this on the Praxis Cast Discord the other day, and um, and like someone said, "Oh, what would what would she call like an Irish wizard?" And I, well, I, we know. I, I said, "Well, I, I I've never read Harry Potter or watched the films or anything," and I just jokingly said, "Seamus or Boom." <laughs> and then someone was like, "Yeah, he's actually called Seamus, and he does make things explode." And I was like, "For fuck's sake!" Like, do you know what I mean? The wo- the woman is the woman is beyond parody. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Anyway, let's get back to let's get back to early Turkey real quick. Oh yeah, yeah. that detour. Yeah. The, so the two, the, the two minute hit is over. Let's crack on. Yeah. So the next the next major reforms were the abolition of the Sharia courts. No more Sharia courts for you. <coughs> That's it. No go zones. Done. We, everywhere is <laughs> everywhere is available for Ben Shapiro in Turkey. You have the right Although to rule. He will rule. be shorter than average. Yeah, he will be shorter than average. Shorter than a lot of the women too, so you know. So I just hope somebody. I wonder pe- if Ben picks... Shapiro's tall. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, I hope somebody pe- 
picks up on the on the the pun there of uh, right to Rome. Just to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was I was gonna say I wonder if Ben Shapiro is taller than my mum. Like that's actually oh. a good question. My mum's like four foot eleven, so I don't know if he's taller than her or not. I can't quite not quite figure it out. Anyway, so then they also ado- they also adopt a work week. They finally have the weekend. <gasps> See, totally, totally socialist has... republic. I told you, it's a socialist republic. Yeah, socialism is when you have a weekend. That's right. Yeah. And the longer the weekend, the more socialist it is. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, that's such a good. That's a, one of my favorite Twitter pages as well. Yeah, I will. I will just wait for someone to retweet and be like, "Yeah, that's right." Is that and this Thursday? What a concept! Are they, yeah. are, those are the only two days of the week that I know what day of the week it is. Oh, NAS does a good one where NAS posts. Um, what's it? A good morning Sunday morning. Oh yeah, every Sunday. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, so so yeah, we've got a work week. We've got a weekend. It's technically like the religious holiday law because they're like, well, Friday, you know, you get Fridays off, obviously. Although actually they made it Saturday and Sunday. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. That may, have, that may have been different back then, but now it is Saturday and Sunday. So then I would, comes... I would, I would welcome the weekend, but ask them to go further. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so then we have... The best, the most controversial law. This is the law that actually produced the most controversy. The hat law. Oh, shit. <laughs> is that like bird law? So, some people seem to believe that the hat law banned the headscarf or something for women. It didn't do that. The headscarf wasn't banned at this point. What happened, what actually was banned, was the fez and turbans for men. <laughs> no more fez and turban for you. It's a rare case of the state overreach leading to men's bodies being policed. Yeah. Is that, is that not some progressive change? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it makes a change, doesn't it? It's the men. Yeah. But once the dudes are not rocking, they don't get to rock the turban in Turkey, which is going to be really... I guess that's bad news for Justin Trudeau if he's ever doing one of his costumes again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Maybe, maybe that, that's who they were targeting with that law. Yeah, they were predicting Justin Trudeau. They're like, we don't want any Canadians coming here doing blackface and wearing turbans. Which, but he seemed to do that a lot, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. He, 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 there's a lot. There's certainly a lot of like uh, different photographs. My man loves to play dress up. Yeah, you begin to wonder whether he was just showing up to funerals in blackface in a <laughs> turban. Like, how are there this many pictures of a guy doing blackface who wasn't on British TV? <laughs> Like, it's so rare. God, you wonder if David Baddiel's a big Justin Trudeau fan, actually. Hmm. (laughs) But only because of the blackface. He'd never admit that, though. It would be because, like, uh, it would be some... He'd he'd claim it was because of liberalism. Yeah. NATO socks. Loves his NATO socks. Yeah, god damn. Canada is an incredibly cursed concept as well. Basically, every country is cursed. That's why we should abolish the nation state. Yes. That's really what we're getting at here. So we then have dervish lodges and other religious associations are closed. So that obviously, like, really fucks with people and fucks some people off because they're like, well, I'm just associating freely on the basis of religion. How can you how can you say that's wrong? And they're like, well, you know. That's what the uncivilized people do. Wait a minute. So you're saying that they're trying to be more like Protestant Europe, but by banning religious associations? 
Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Also, rip the dervish lodges. The dervishes are fucking great. That's why most people go to Turkey, to see the whirling dervishes. I still don't quite know what a dervish is, you know that. A dervish is like, uh, right, do you not know what a whirling dervish is or what a dervish is generally? Both. Both. A dervish is a member of, like, one of these orders that's, they do regular exercises that put them into a trance. So when the whirling dervish is spinning round, they get put into a trance as they do it. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that kind of, I'm not from that kind of Muslim background. So I don't know the specifics of it. But my understanding is that when the Prophet Muhammad had revelations done to him by, uh, or well, had revelations from God, his the way that his sort of mind was at that time was like these trances so they are praying by doing the whirling sweet so it's like an ecstatic thing yeah 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 you can you can think of it like that that's my understanding that might be wrong and also this is probably not a tradition that originally came from uh like a muslim origin this seems to originate from uh i'm trying to remember where it is now it essentially seems to originate from buddhism but from the Uyghurs who were, who had cultural contact with, like, you know, the Turks who then moved into Anatolia. Uh-huh. So they brought it with them, basically. As any YouTube map will show you, they are Turks, after all. Yeah, yeah. Any YouTube map will demonstrate that the, the west of China is Turkey. That's yeah. <laughs> well known at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I just love, I, I love how I'm, I'm getting, I'm just, I'm... You know, slowly being Islamized, just yeah. <laughs> this is this is the long term project at work, <laughs> and people and people and people always are like, you know, uh, you know, they can do miracles and they have superpowers, and I'm like, I don't think they do either of those things. I'm not convinced by it, but that's what a dervish is. So, th- and they're Sufi, they're Sufi Muslims, they're members of Sufi orders, and yeah, it's it, um, you mentioned like ecstatic it is like religious ecstasy that they're trying to reach so yeah and there's another dervish group who i quite like um talking about who are the bektashis who are kind of like related to the janissaries in the ottoman empire but they also have this wicked sense of humor about especially about drinking alcohol which is incredible nice but yeah yeah there's a there's they're famous for their joke telling which Always makes me really laugh whenever someone on Twitter's like, "Oh yeah, uh, Muslims are really humorless," and then uh, especially about their religion. And I'm like, "There's an entire like Sufi order dedicated to making fun of people who drink water instead of alcohol." <laughs> <laughs> like, come on now, <laughs> that is like the famous joke. It's um, you know, uh, the Imam asks one of his um, one of the worshippers, "If you put a bucket full of water and a bucket full of raka in front of a donkey, which one will the donkey drink?" And he goes, the water. And the imam asks why. And the person replies, because he's an ass. <laughs> Amazing. It's a good joke. It's a really yeah. good joke. Like, that's a really, really good joke. Like, that's the famous one. That's the one I know, at least. That's what makes it famous. I mean, those, um, uh, those guys on Twitter, like, maybe... It's like that thing, isn't it, though? They go, like, Muslims have, like, no sense of humor when it comes to their religion. It's like, maybe your jokes are just shit, mate. Yeah, because yeah, that joke fucking that? rocks. Like, yeah, maybe it's that thing where, like, you know what I mean? If you if you meet one arsehole 
during your day, then you met an arsehole. But if you meet like like lots of, you know what I mean? If you just constantly meet arseholes everywhere you go, maybe you're the arsehole. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> yeah, so these dervish lodges are closed. They're obviously later unclosed. Also, the reckoning system for years is changed to the Gregorian calendar. So we, so they stopped using the Islamic calendar. They started using the Gregorian one. You know, they basically leapt forward about 600 years, which I suppose is a conspiracy theory in itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's waiting a, to be made. Literally but, a great leap forward, that we were saying. <laughs> yeah, a literal great leap forward. In fact, we can get to some of the, the actual bits of the leaping. Yeah, I, 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 I don't even know who the Gregorians were. I just know they were famous for calendars and chanting. Yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So they introduce a new penal and civil code based on the Italian and Swiss ones. And some of it seems to have been based on the French ones as well, because the Kemalists saw themselves as like the French revolutionaries, not like the Bolsheviks. And incidentally, the Swiss, the, the Swiss civil code, the inspiration from that is why Turkey at this point is constitutionally neutral. Oh, it is a neutral country. It is peace at home, peace in the world. That's it, yeah. It's aligned to peace. Mm. In fact, that does seem to generally be the the attitude quite early on, is they did believe that quite sincerely, that was what they were going for. But they also believed that like peace required everyone to exist in perfectly homogeneous nation-states, so... Ah. Uh, yeah, not no, ideal. Pluses and minuses. Yeah. Pluses and minuses, really, I would say. <laughs> or at least... That's what you can. That's what you can infer from a lot of what they said. That's not ex- ever explicitly said, but it is heavily implied that that's what they seem to think. Yeah, Tur- Turkish Turkish neutrality is aligned with peace, but also like does a lot of race science, so it's impossible to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We don't know. We can't possibly say. So here's here's the good stuff. Here's the good stuff. Here's the stuff we really want to talk about. The Kemalists did railway communism. They nationalized the railways. Get in. I love it. Yeah. That's the fucking, that's the shit we want. Yeah. They distributed land to the farmers, you know, instead of having it, they nationalized what they, what they needed to nationalize and they distributed it to the actual farmers who worked the land. So I was going to say, do love some land reform. That's always a classic. See, socialism. Telling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Land reform is always a classic of, of governments that, for whom one of their six arrows is populism, I would reckon. Right back to fucking Caesar, that's a fucking thing. <laughs> but yeah, they establish a bank in 1924 called Ishbank, which is the first ever bank in Turkey. It's a, it's a national bank. It actually finances a lot of stuff. Still, It still exists. It's one of the biggest banks in the world now. The French-owned tobacco industry was nationalized in 1925 and was incorporated into the sort of behemoth giant single state company that was sort of running all the shit called Tekel, which does kind of mean monopoly, but it literally means one hand. Yeah. So it's the, it's the one hand that does economy. But yeah, it, it's a, it was a Turkish tobacco and alcohol company. It, uh, it, it basically, so basically they bought it off this, there were two French companies in charge of the tobacco industry in Turkey. And one of them was called, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Regie, the Regie Company, which actually had a seat on the debt council of the Ottoman Empire. Oh. So they literally like could not be dealt with because they were technically one of the creditors of the Ottoman Empire. And they basically got to tell the Ottoman Empire how to spend its money. It, 
Unfortunately, this state uh, state monopoly was sold to British American Tobacco. Boo. Which is yeah, which is shit. It, you hate to see it. Yeah, to privatized in two thousand and eight. Although the privatization, you know, get this: the legislation that allowed for the privatization of it was pushed through by a leftist prime minister in the early two thousands. Ooh. Yeah. Well, yeah, oh, imagine that, a social democrat doing privatization. <gasps> I am shocked. Anyway, yeah, British American Tobacco in it now. And it has this really cool old school logo that I really quite like. I'll put it in the episode notes real quick. It has this really nice old school logo. It's quite a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice and simple. You can tell it's a state-owned company. Yeah, oh, it like, yeah. looks like something you'd see on an oil can in your dad's garage. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would. You, like, there are... In my grandparents' place, there are old beer cans with that on it. Oh, nice. Oh. Like, and it looks... It's a fucking vibe. But yeah, this is their HQ. This is their former HQ as well. It's a nice-looking building. Their former HQ is quite a lovely-looking building. I like the idea I like the idea of having, like, government beer. It's kind of like if we had Brit beer instead of Brit <laughs> Rail, you know? <laughs> Brit beer. But it's just... This, it, it's actually good. Oh, that's a yeah, nice that's, building, yeah. It's a nice building, yeah. So, like, my granddad used to get beer delivered to him with the milk you know? <laughs> that was that was a fucking thing it was remember when, the, remember when the milkmen were hard <laughs> they deliver beer as well as milk that shit rocked although my although i don't know whether that was because my granddad was a soldier and everyone would kind of just sort of put up with this shit or or what the deal was but anyway we've done railway communism we've done tobacco communism we've done they've started an alcohol industry including rucker I also think like some corner shops were technically owned by the single state company for a while, but it's a whole other thing. Uh, and then there's the final reform we're going to talk about today, which is the alphabet reformed. They changed it into the modern alphabet, the Latin alphabet, the civilized alphabet, they would call it. And it resulted in this great thing of Ataturk going around the country with a blackboard pointing at letters and teaching people how to what the new <laughs> alphabet was. So it's... Well. It, yeah. If you want a job done well. Yeah. I mean, that was to an extent that that was to an extent the attitude. Like his um there's a, there's so many pictures of him just going to like random towns and villages pointing at the letters. It's so good at explaining how the letters work to people like they never encountered writing before. It's so good there he is in that picture. Oh, like, wow. Yep. That's a letter. Is uh, right? is is that loss? <laughs> Sorry. On the blackboard. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah, there's this whole thing of him. In fact, there's there's one of him this these pictures are all so good. I love these pictures. There's even one of him teaching maths to people because obviously the numerical system changed, I guess. They're like, well, here's the here's the new numbers, and I'm gonna teach you how to multiply because I am the supreme leader of this country and I'm the only one who can do maths. Amazing. But yeah, he he, he loved te- he loved teachers. Did Mustafa Kamal? There's always this quote attributed to him, which is "Teachers are the one and only people who save nations," which explains why he really, really wanted to be a teacher. I guess. Oh, yeah, that's, that's quite endearing. I feel it is. Yeah. It well, yeah, he... it doesn't hold true to any of the teachers I had. No, kid, but... no. <laughs> yeah, I... you know, in a way, despite not being a utopian, very utopian way of thinking about things. But yeah, so the alphabet reform, that took a while to stick. In fact, here's a, here's a thing. 
My, you, you, I showed you that picture of Atatürk going around to towns and villages and stuff. My great-grandmother is one of the people in one of these pictures because he came to the village where she lived and she got taught the alphabet by the president. Oh, wow. Which is yeah. super fucking insane to me that she she was an adult illiterate, to be fair, at this point. So the, um, the British version of that is Thatcher comes around your school and slaps the milk out of your hand directly. <laughs> yeah, like how different is? <laughs> but but yeah, she. So this is one of those weird things where I'm one degree of separation from the fuck fucker because my great grandmother lived to ninety nine. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. Very old. That doesn't bode well for me, mm. to be honest, if I'm living to 99, given, given that my, I've openly said my lifestyle was my retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> that was 99 years before we had global warming, I assume, so... Yeah, I mean, famously, I did that YouTube video about uh, climate change. Yeah, we d- yeah didn't, wasn't an issue before then, had no idea, completely snuck up on us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a thing that we understood in 1856. Oh, boy. No, Which, that would be that would be embarrassing if we understood it at that. It point. was uh, it was invented by Disney in the last six years, I think. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, Captain Climate Change. That was yeah, MCU, <laughs> right? <laughs> Although isn't that like an actual thing in Captain Planet, like Professor Pollution or some shit? <laughs> Probably. Like it's some shit like that. I don't know. I never watched Captain Planet, but. Well, I'm glad that you've managed to resolve the conflict in Northern Ireland at least. <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, that takes us up to 1928, which is just before the Great Depression. Oh. And Turkey's really, really interesting economic response to it, which was basically to not shit themselves. Which, and also the fact that the economy was still so fucked that basically they lost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. That's, that's my response to every financial crisis in my life, yeah. quite, quite frankly. Like, you know what I mean? That's right, yeah. It just that's, rolls people, right off my back. Yeah, people are always like, oh man, you're gonna, people are losing so many assets because of this crash. I'm like, what yeah. fucking assets do you think I have? <laughs> and, people are, and people are always like, oh man, this inflation's really bad. And I'm like, I have shit tons of debt because of my student loans. Like, inflation is actually not that big a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. Like I my my rent has gone up by a fiver a year. My energy bills are gonna be lower this year. I don't drive. My student loan is massive. Inflation is high. I think I'm gonna be alright with this one, you know? <laughs> I'm the one person in the country whose energy bills are going down, by the way. How did you swing that like? Yeah. Because I'm gonna, I guess I'll, I guess I'll tell you the one weird trick. It turns out the pe- they were basing our estimate on the people who lived there before. Because we moved partway through the financial year. So our estimate that we've been paying is from the people who were in this flat before. But me and my partner don't heat the flat because it's always fucking boiling. And we only really heat the hot water for showers. Amazing. So so our monthly bill is like 20 quid cheaper per month. They get really confused because we do the weird trick of of only using our as much electricity. We use most of our electricity during the like low tariff time, which is like after 10 p.m. Yeah. So we'll stick. So because my partner gets up early for work, we'll stick the laundry in at like five, which is before, which is like two hours before the, you know, main tariff. So all our shit is super cheap because of that. One weird trick. Basically, good luck. Yeah, one weird trick. Be lucky. Have a partner who wakes up early. You know, <laughs> that's it. That takes us up to 1928. That's probably where we're going to leave it for now. I don't know what we'll do next time. We'll have to talk about it because we'll, we could do the 30s reforms 
Or we could talk about all of the drama of the 20s, all of the drama that went on, all the rebellions, all of the purges, all of the crackdowns on the Communist Party. Ooh. We'll have to figure that out. But yeah. for now, everyone, I'm going to say goodbye. Let, let us know in the comments what you want to see next. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Let us know. We'll, we'll get that. Don't worry. We get that. We get don't, them all. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Oh, fuck. I hate that. I'm going to have to record a video this weekend. I'm going to have to fucking say that. Oh, I just, I just had like a, refl- like a flashback to my last video. God damn it. Right. Everyone, we're off to record the bonus. So if you want the bonuses, make sure you're on the Patreon. Otherwise, we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Yeah.